Hello, welcome to the Public Procurement Podcast with me, Peter Telso. The interviewee today is Kirsi Maria Holonen, Senior Lecturer in Law at the University of Lapland. Previously, Kirsi worked for Hansel Limited, the central purchasing company or body for the Finnish government. In August 2015, Kirsi completed her PhD at the University of Turku with a thesis on contractual ineffectiveness in public procurement. That is precisely the topic of our discussion today. So we're going to be talking about the research that Kirsi did for her PhD on contractual ineffectiveness in public procurement. Hello, Kirsi. Welcome to the program. Hello, Petro, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, my pleasure. It's always great to, to have you in the, um, in the show. Thank you. Let's dive in straight into your research. You finished your PhD last year on contractual ineffectiveness in public procurement. So could you tell us a little bit more about that research? Yeah, sure. So I think I wasn't that much. Of course, I looked at, at the rules concerning contractual ineffectiveness as well. But my focus was merely on the consequences of the remedy itself between the contracting parties. So I was interested on whether the contracting authority can be held liable, for example, in cases where they have infringed severely public procurement rules, which have led to contractual ineffectiveness, and can there be liability issues to towards the contractor. Then I also looked at what kind of liability regimes could be applied on this kind of liability, if there is any, and what are the possible ways of uh, managed risks for uh, contracting authorities? Are there a uh, possibility to mitigate uh, the damages somehow, or how are the rules of contributory negligence applicable to this kind of liability? So what did you find? What did I find? I think you can divide those conclusions in three parts. So firstly, I think, I think the most important conclusion was that, at least according to Finnish law, Finnish private law, the trust towards the the actions, the rightfulness or lawfulness on the actions of public authorities very strong. So as the contracting authorities are the ones actually responsible to follow the rules, public procurement rules, and they infringe those, they can be held liable if the other party is not aware or should not have been aware of, of this infringement. So there is a certain risk for liability in these cases. And the second conclusion that I found was concerning the liability regime. So if the contract is ineffective, there is no contractual liability available for the party. So merely the liability regimes that could be applied here are based on extra contractual liability such as culpa in contrahendo principles or the general law on damages. And then I think the third part on my conclusions related to the ways of risk management or uh, liability mitigation. So I looked at the limitation of liability clauses, whether these are binding and effective. Then I looked also uh, the rules concerning bona fides, so whether or not and on what grounds we can decide on if the contractor was actually aware or should have been aware of this infringement and what effects it has on the contracting authority's liability. And then also if the general rule of duty to 
limit your own damages is applied here. And I concluded that actually EU law doesn't prevent the application of such rules. So it's based on national law, whether or not these kind of rules are applied here. And did you look only at Finland or did you cast a gaze as well to other jurisdictions? Yes, my main focus was in Finland, and I also conducted my research and published my dissertation in Finnish. But as in uh, Nordic legal studies often is done, at least in Finland, you look at the neighboring countries, uh, the other Scandinavian countries, especially Sweden and Norway, where the legal systems are quite similar to ours. Usually in Sweden, you can find some quite interesting thoughts in the legislative preparatory works. Then I also looked at France because they have a long tradition. Also, the other southern European countries do have similar tradition like Spain, uh, I believe also Portugal and Italy, that they have a tradition of nullity of public contracts that may be ordered by courts. So this we don't have up in north. So it was interesting to find out that there is actually case law also previously relating to procurement contracts on this kind of remedies. So that's why France was interesting. And then I also looked at UK a bit because there the attitude is very business-minded in a in a sense that there is lots of freedom for the parties to agree on on things and for example to agree on risk sharing in these cases and it's also taken explicitly as a part of procurement legislation and uh, this have created lots of discussion whether or not uh, that kind of uh, legislation could be possible also in other countries so there was lots of interesting details also that I found in other countries. And why is the interplay between national contract law that you have analyzed in the Finnish context and damage law rules at the level important? Well, I think it is important for the reason that without looking at things on several perspectives, you are not finding two answers. So if you are looking at consequences of contractual ineffectiveness solely on a perspective or solely from a public procurement rules perspective, you are not finding a complete answer. And in Finland, traditionally, public procurement has been viewed as a part of public law, administrative law, and as an administrative procedure to to choose a winner in a certain contract award. But if we are looking at the rules as a administrative procedural rules to choose a winner, then we don't get the whole picture of what happens afterwards because we're actually buying something. We're, we're making a commercial transaction. And uh, we're not applying public procurement rules for the reason that we want to just comply with, with these rules as such, but as a mean to purchase something. and. Um, that's why I think it is important to also take private law into a picture, contract law, commercial law in general, as public procurement contracts in Finland are considered as uh, private contracts. So it is utmost important from a bias perspective to realize how these private law rules should be interpreted in the context of public procurement 
where EU law and especially its principles are actually um, are limiting the interpretation of which is usually in private law considered as a to be a freedom of parties to agree on anything. And here uh, EU law has uh, and the public procurement rules have a lot to say on on how to look at things. I think that's a, a very important point and it's intimately connected with one of the issues that I found over the years in public procurement, which is there's a huge emphasis and focus from EU rules on the procedural part of things. But when it comes down to the actual contracts, the rules that are applicable to the contract are left for the national member states. And in consequence, my take is, and I have not done any research on this, but this is just my, my gut feeling. My take on this is that in consequence, economic operators find it more difficult to actually apply for contracts in other member states because they don't know what will be the contract law that is going to be applicable to that contract. They know that in terms of procedural rules, they're going to be entitled to certain rights and certain protections. But even if they awarded the contract, then they're subject to national law. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I know that you have a tradition as a procurement lawyer in practice as yeah. well, and as I do. So, yeah, often also research in public procurement is done via uh, the principles of EU law and via the goals of public procurement rules as such. But somehow, I think it is very important to always keep in mind that this is a reality, this is actually business, and we need to look at public procurement rules only as a toolkit to get the best possible result. And here, as you pointed out, if we're wanting to create a single market, then it should be clear for all the players at the single market, what are the common rules and where comes the line after which the national rules are applied. And this is not clear for me, not even in Finland. I think that is necessarily not always clear in UK or Portugal. And I have been thinking of these things quite a lot. But if you think about uh, private companies, I believe that this might create some obstacles to participate, for sure. Yes, indeed. And just by coincidence, yesterday I was watching a, a program on Euronews about the strategy by the Commission for the Digital Single Market. And one of the actual legs of that particular stool that the Commission wants to set up was to uniform or have some sort of harmonization, at least, for contract law that is applicable to cross-border online contracts. And if you think about it, in general, online contracts or, or online contracts for consumers involve very low amounts of money. So if the commission understands that for that specific sector, it makes sense to uniform or at least harmonize contract law, why aren't we thinking about the same for public procurement? Well, that's very good question. And I, unfortunately, I don't have the answer to that question, but I think that that could really speed up the progress of opening the borders in public procurement. One thing that comes to my, in my mind relating also the differences of contract laws in different countries is the binding effect of an offer. So basically there are different rules in different countries on the binding effect. So if I'm a company, I'm sending an offer to a contract award, 
in Spain, I might be able to cancel it if I want to. But uh, in Finland, I'm not able to cancel it after it's opened. So in Finland, actually, according to the basic contract law rules, not though in public procurement anymore, a binding contractual relationship is or the contract is considered concluded when the offer is accepted. But already before the offer itself cannot be uh, can be binding and lead to similar consequences, similar liability issues if you cancel it than if you would cancel a contract. Yeah, that's a common discussion in, in contract law in various jurisdictions, which is each jurisdiction has defined its own way of interpreting the moment where the contract is formed. So is it acceptance mm-hmm. or the, the, the sending of the, the offer, uh, if the offer contains all the, the necessary elements, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But again, in the field of public procurement, that is one of the areas that perhaps at your level, we have not spent enough energy and attention in trying to sort and solve. On that note, what do you think should be done at your level in the future that we could consider to be a potential legal solution for the differences that we're finding in the treatment of contractual ineffectiveness in public procurement in the various member states? Well, I think it is important that EU public procurement rules don't go too far in limiting the applicability of national private contract or commercial law rules or the public contract rules. But at the same time, we should have some clarity on which rules or on what aspects EU law has a firm position. So that could help the national systems to develop their own legislation and argumentation relating thereto to provide similar results, even though the systems behind it are quite different. So I would want to know what are the actual conditions of liability, for example, in certain issues. I would like to know whether EU law is actually giving any protection to ex-contractors when the contract is considered ineffective. I think now EU Commission's uh, point of view is that there is no protection provided towards ex-contractors because they have participated in the infringement even though they wouldn't be aware of it, but they assume that they must be aware of it. So I think there are a question of remedies, and then there is also a question of clarity, so that the companies involved could really know what are the conditions of liability, what is the proof I need to provide in this context. So it wouldn't always be a matter of national law to interpret it according to their own damages principles. But as an answer to your question, I think uh, there are small things, but it's more or less, I'm not saying that something should be done or something shouldn't be done, but we should know what are the rules that are applied. And this is something that is uh, a bit ambiguous at the moment. Where goes the line between EU law and national rules? But at the same time, this is very interesting from a researcher's point of view. So... If we bring too much clarity, then probably I need to get another hobby. (laughs) Do you reckon that in a future review of the Remedies Directive, perhaps we'll see something along those lines? Or do you reckon it's not going to happen? I think maybe. Though I think now it's all about 
principle of effectiveness, especially the length of judicial procedure that is on the table. But probably, though I still think that EU legislators are not that worried on parties or the contractors, ex-contractors and their rights, their interest is focused on removing unlawful or infringing decisions and bringing back the contract to the markets. So that is what mainly the remedies are designed for. And then yeah. the remedies for those who have suffered from uh, contracting authorities' infringement as being part of it, I think those companies are not going to get a lot of support in the remedies directive in future either. So, Yeah, I think it's a shame because as we were saying before, if we don't tackle some of the outstanding differences in terms of contract law, in terms of consequences, I feel that that uncertainty, the uncertainty that is that is generated by these different systems actually probably deters economic operators from participating in the first place. And obviously, if they don't participate, they cannot win the contracts in, in other jurisdictions, in other member states. So I think it's a shame that the discussion is still very much focused on what I, what I would call formalistic approaches to remedies, mm. saying, oh, do you have access to the courts and only the courts and nothing else? Do the courts decide quickly enough? That is important, but at the end of the day, that is only one part of the discussion. Yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. I agree with that. But we are where we are. Mm. Now, speaking about research and speaking about interests, you spent a lot of time over the last few years looking at uh, this interplay between public procurement and contract law, looking at the contractual ineffectiveness in public procurement. Where do you want to focus your research going forward? Well, as you said, I have been quite involved in, in uh, public procurement, private law matters. I really like it, so I don't plan to entirely abandon it. But lately, I have been more and more interested on the requirement of transparency, quite classical subject, I would say, but as a broader phenomenon combining lots of different goals and objectives, maybe controversial towards each other, either uh, fighting corruption, securing the access to remedies in a public procurement process, and at the same time, uh, its potential adverse effects on creation of innovations as a commercial interest protection issue. And perhaps we will see an empirical research relating to these aspects during the next years, a few years. And uh, I'm also currently discussing with uh, different uh, multidisciplinary research groups. One of the potential projects that we're planning on is on looking at Finnish corruption, especially in public procurement in more detail. And another one is relating to creation of innovations and how we can promote those via competition law, via IPR law, and via public procurement rules. So hopefully, hopefully uh, these projects will go forward. And I'm also very anxiously waiting to hear what European Commission is planning uh, with the new remedies directive, because uh, that is something that the remedies side I have been always interested at. So, so probably I will look that as well when when we have more information on what are the changes to be made in future. 
Very well. I think that's a great way to finish the program. Thank you very much, Kirsi. Thank you, Pedro. As usual, you can find me at my blog, tells.eu, or on Twitter, where I use two handles, at Detic for general discussion and at Public Procure for public procurement-related topics. As ever, I'm grateful, very grateful, for the support of the British Academy Rising Star Engagement Awards, which made possible this program. Till next time.